On our last episode of the podcast, we talked about how a Toastmaster speech contest is like a circus. Now, I didn't mean to insult contests, but I meant that there are many moving parts that different people have to be in charge of. The contest master is like a ringmaster in a circus. A chief judge is like the backstage manager. Just as important to manage all of the details. I guess they call this organizer the chief judge because she is, wait for it, in charge of the judging and the judges, and the ballots, and the ballot counters, and the timers, and all of the paperwork. Are you interested in public speaking and leadership skills? Then Toastmasters is for you. Welcome to Toastmasters 101 Podcast, an introduction to the Toastmasters Education Program Pathways. I'm your host, Kim Kraji. The chief judge is technically not a judge. They have no votes in the contest at all. Their primary job is to organize the back half of the contest, the paperwork, the people, the personnel, but not the contestants. Along with the contest chair, the first task after the date and time and location are set up is to recruit judges. This is not a light task. Finding volunteers who you believe can be impartial and do the job well often takes a lot of phone calls. At the club level, bringing in outside judges usually isn't necessary, but I've done a lot of contest judging at different clubs because they didn't have enough people. I've run contests for new clubs when they didn't have enough experienced Toastmasters. Judge recruitment is not a task you leave to the end and expect to pick up some people at the door. That's the last thing you want to do. I learned from one experienced contest judge that the key to managing your judges is to tell them to get to the contest at least a half an hour before the contest and to use file folders. There are dozens of pieces of paper that have to be managed to complete the contest by the rule book. By creating a file folder for every single person who is involved with the contest, I know they've gotten briefed because I don't have the file any longer, and I know that they've gotten everything that they need. Pretty much everybody gets a copy of the rule book. Yes, this gets expensive to print, 28 or 32 pages per book. But at the area level in the contest in particular, it is a critical document to get in as many hands as possible. As of right now, the only option on the Toastmasters website is to download the rulebook. There are no copies for sale outside of the kits. Now, you can ask for these rulebooks to be returned at the end, but you're only going to use them once this year unless you're doing sequential contests. Now, since the rulebook is now a downloadable PDF, it may be that you can ask if you can send it to them and they can read it on their phones or their tablets or their laptops at the contests. If you have Wi-Fi and if you can count on them to not have their phone die, welcome to the 21st century. I'm just going to have paper copies on hand. I personally have a set of file folders that I have used multiple times as chief judge with the various rules on the tabs. Chief judge. That keeps track of my paperwork. Judges, one per judge. 
the secret tiebreaker judge. The timers, ballot counters and collectors, and the sergeant-at-arms. If I feel it's necessary, I might even make one for the contest master, just in case they need one. Why do I make so many files? Because I have to brief every single one of these people about their jobs, and they have a lot of paperwork they have to manage as well. Even if they've done this job a dozen times in the past, the briefings must be done and their files, once they leave my hand, tell me I've completed that task effectively and well. How you start a briefing is up to you. In District 10, we have a script for these. I tend to start with the sergeant-at-arms and brief them first because they need to go out and do other things. The sergeant-at-arms file folder has a list of the contestants' names and which contest they're entering. Now, I don't know why this isn't required. This was a secret trick that somebody gave me, and it made so much sense. It simplified everything. I give them a note to check with every contestant about their need for assistance with props. I give them a map to the location where the contestants will be secluded if you're having a table topics or evaluation contest, if that's necessary. I give a set of instructions for the timing of the contest, and I try to make sure they get a contest program in there as well. And finally, I give them signs for the door that say, please do not enter here, with an appropriate adhesive to hang the signs. I tell the sergeant-at-arms to put chairs where they want to sit, because they are guarding the doors. Ideally, you have to have several people serving in this role, because it's not only the doors that need to be protected during presentations, but other contestants need to be supervised. I'd say a minimum of two sergeant-at-arms at the club level, and more at the area and division level, based on the number of doors. And then I send them on their way. The contest master will want to brief them and introduce them to the contestants. Next up are the timers. Their file includes the timer sheets for each contest. I review the times for each contest and make sure that they have a timing device. You don't count on them bringing their phones. A set of color cards, red, yellow, and green, and whatever other timing device will be used, perhaps one with lights. The backup cards are mandatory. Stuff happens at contests, like the lights don't work. It happens. Make sure that they know how to use their devices and how to do the timing. This seems elementary, but I had a 20-year Toastmaster who didn't know how to do it. Don't let that happen at your contest. Ballot counters and collectors. I've seen this role split into two. Maybe it was to increase the number of participants and make them feel like they were part of the event. If the collectors and counters are different, right after I dismiss the timers, I want to review with them how the counting works. Ballot counting is weird to me. The first place speaker gets three points, the second place speaker gets two points, and the third place speaker gets one point, and I mess this up every single time. I always recruit somebody good with numbers at this role, and I make somebody else check the work. Then I dismiss them. The ballot collectors need to know who the judges are and where they're going to sit. This is the least responsible role. All they have to do is get the completed ballots back to the chief judge, me, at the end of each contest. 
We try to keep this as low-key and as unnoticeable as possible because the identity of the judges is supposed to be a secret. Yeah, that doesn't happen as soon as the first ballots are collected. Everybody knows who the judges are. But this file folder will include the counter's tally sheets, one per contest, but I generally have extras on hand because math is hard. It's easier for me if we start again on a clean sheet. The tie-breaking judge is somebody who is supposed to be especially secret. No one, not even the other judges, is supposed to know who this tie-breaking judge is. The briefings are essentially the same. What's different is the ballots. While regular judges have the top three slots to fill in, the tie-breaking judge lists all of the competitors in his or her winning order. Then if we have a tie between contestants, the tie-breaking judge's vote breaks the tie. Otherwise, the ballot isn't used. Remember that rule book. How the tie-breaking judge's ballot is used is laid out in there. Judges. Oh, judges. The number of judges is based on multiple factors is a huge issue in the area and division contest, so recruit a lot of judges. Check the rule book for the requirements for a judge. For example, they have to have been a paid member for at least six months. They can't be competing for another club if this is an area, division, or district contest. This means I, as a competitor, can judge at a club level, but not another area, not another division, or not at the district contest if I've competed. Getting well-trained judges shouldn't be hard, but it is. Toastmasters has good online training for judges. It covers potential biases, positions of the speaker, the pity card. Okay, they don't call it that. That's what I call it. Judging is inherently biased. I know what I like, and I know what I don't. I am very unlikely to vote for a speaker whose topic offends me. That speaker is going to have to be extraordinary, truly fantastic to win me over. Is that fair? Well, it's a matter of taste. And personal taste influences a judge. I'm going to say it again. Judging is highly subjective. I'm not alone. I've talked to many others who have served as judges who have said the same. Talking about talking to judges. Oh, there's a very strict rule that a contestant cannot ask a judge about their rankings. You can't ask a judge who they voted for or why. Judges are even instructed to take their judging materials, their ballots, and take them home and destroy them, not throw them into a trash can, because some people will actually go get them. You can't ask a judge who they voted for or why. You can't get an evaluation from a judge to figure out how to do better the next time. Pretty much the only thing a contestant to say to a judge is, thanks for judging the contest. Yes, contestants will ask. Judges should be prepared to say, I really can't answer any questions, but you can ask anyone else in the room for an evaluation. As chief judge, I like to reiterate this during a briefing because, well, I'll admit it, I've done this. I didn't mean to. I just kind of forgot she was a judge. She was my friend whose opinion I respected. A few times, 
when a judge was being questioned by an unhappy contestant because happy contestants never ask, I intervened with a few comments of my own. Oh, he can't answer you because he was a judge, but I thought you did great when... Dot, dot, dot. Back to judge training. As chief judge, I would probably send an invitation to my judges to partake of the Toastmasters International online training for judges. You can finish these very quickly. About 30 minutes total for all three. Or I might give a club speech that covers the most important parts the week before the contest. When I create the judges file folder, it's going to have the rule book. It's going to have a ballot for all the contests and the judge's certification of eligibility and the code of ethics. Get the signatures on the certification forms right away and put them in your folder. District 10 has a script to handle the judge's briefing. It covers all the details and the latest updates. This year's script has been updated, so go ahead and get it. Everything I've said that has to be done is supposed to be done before the contest begins. Don't forget, you will be giving a speech during the contest and helping distribute the awards at the end. As you can see, there are a lot of people needed to run a Toastmasters contest. You have a big population to recruit from. All those Toastmasters who aren't competing can participate. Some of them will be very open to an invitation. Others, maybe not. Ask around. Judges have a membership requirement, but ballot counters don't. Sometimes the reason people don't participate is because they don't have any interest in the contests or because they've never been asked. As chief judge, your job is to recruit all these people. But what do you get out of it? Have you heard about the high-performance leadership projects? I personally thought that the high-performance leadership materials that Toastmasters International had under the Classic program was one of their best products. In fact, I've used that model several times for projects inside and outside of Toastmasters. Essentially, in my own words, the HPL project, High Performance Leadership Project, is where you get to boss other people around. Nicely, of course, but that's the key. You're the leader. You get other people to do the work while you supervise. Now, this doesn't mean you're not working. It just means you're working in a different way. With Pathways, the project description made me laugh just a little bit. The High Performance Leadership Project can be almost anything. The primary aspects you would need to think about when deciding if a project would be eligible for a High Performance Leadership Project are below. This project must be legal, ethical, socially responsible. Your activities are not represented as being endorsed by Toastmasters International, a project where you can lead a team, a project that is not created by Toastmasters International, such as the Youth Leadership Program or Speechcraft. I have seen a huge range of projects from people. One friend managed a division-wide recruitment event. Another managed a $1.4 million hotel renovation. For my first HPL, I managed a series of dinners at my church for over 16 weeks. I think I've heard of at least a half a dozen brides or mothers of the bride who used their HPL to organize a wedding. 
It's my opinion that being chief judge is worthy of a high-performance leadership project. There is no other position in the contest, especially at the area, division, or district level, that requires the level of leadership that the chief judge takes on. Now, you must know that the HPL does require several meetings and speeches to be given to the club. You must create a guidance committee and meet with them several times. You will present your final findings to the club, a kind of what did I do and what did I learn report. Don't just say this is my HPL project without getting the materials from Pathways and studying them and how they apply to this role, especially as a chief judge for a contest. Regarding your guidance committee, if at all possible, get at least one advanced Toastmaster who has already done an HPL on your committee. If you're doing a project outside of Toastmasters, you can and probably will recruit people who aren't Toastmasters to be on your guidance committee, but an experienced Toastmaster will be a big help because they know what's coming next. In my first HPL, I gave my recruitment speech to my club weeks after I'd already recruited my team for the project because I hadn't read ahead. Now, when I'm a member of a committee, I always advise members to prepare for the speeches at the second stage of the project and at the end. You might think that's obvious, but sometimes projects outside of Toastmasters move at a different pace than the HPL dictates. Practicing the recruitment speech at the club before you give it is really smart if you know what to do and when to do it. Toastmasters cannot have a contest without a chief judge or a contest master. When both roles are filled with people who are committed to following the rulebook and rolling with the punches, contests give everyone a great experience. And get your file folders back. Next week, I don't think I'm going to be talking about contests anymore. I think I want to talk about the changes in pathways and I hope the new changes to Basecamp will be released by then. If not, I'll find something else to talk about. Do you know someone else who would like this podcast? Both of you can go to Toastmasters101.net slash subscribe and get the podcast delivered to your podcast player for free. Our music today is from incompetech.filmmusic.io. Toastmasters 101 is a podcast production of Toastmasters District 10.